Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. Well, here at Line One, we have made it our mission to provide reliable health information that helps Alaskans make informed decisions about their health care. Over the last two years, the COVID-19 pan- pandemic has wreaked havoc on our social and emotional lives. Who do we hang out with? Do we go to work? Do our kids go to school? And of course, should we get vaccinated? With a number of partners, Alaska Public Media is encouraging Anchorage citizens to get vaccinated against COVID-19. We are doing this by having conversations, sharing stories from our community, and by providing reliable resources from trusted experts in the medical field. We're calling this series of conversations, Talk to Your Neighbor. On today's edition of Talk to Your Neighbor, we are discussing how COVID-19 has impacted people who experience physical or intellectual disabilities, and we will be looking at some of the unique health risks they face and the challenges they experience in accessing the COVID-19 vaccine. My guests today are Sandra LeClaire, who is a health project manager with the UAA Center for Human Development, vaccine champion Jenna Crafton, and Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz, staff physician with the Department of Public Health. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for inviting us. Okay, I need to take just a second to remind people that uh, we value listener participation. So you, if you have a question for my guest today or you want to share how you came to your decision to either get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, um, please give us a call and, and share that with us. There are three ways to connect with us. If you're in the Anchorage area, our phone number is 907-550-8433. That's 907-550-8433. If you're listening outside of the Anchorage area, you can reach us toll-free, 188-353-5752. And the last way is to email your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. You got to spell out line one, L-I-N-E-O-N-E. Uh, we will do our best to uh, answer your questions on the air. Um, all right, to, to get us started, um, can each of you just take a second to uh, introduce yourself, talk about some of your your background and why you are here today with me? And I guess, uh, Dr. Rabinowitz, we can... Um, start with you since you are the only one not in studio and you won't be able to pick up on my non you know verbal cues so we'll go ahead and, and let you introduce yourself and what you're doing now and how you're involved with the uh, vaccine perfect thank you so I'm Lisa Rabinowitz I am a lifelong Alaskan and have been practicing emergency medicine here in Anchorage for almost 20 years And I began uh, helping public health around the COVID response about a year and a half ago. And my focus um, has primarily been on vaccine education and outreach. And so I'm really here today um, because the state of Alaska is definitely committed um, towards health equity and especially around our diverse populations that are at higher risk, which does include uh, disabled individuals. So 
Any opportunity to share information or further identify gaps or barriers are very important for me. So I'm very happy to be here and I'll turn it over to Sandra. All right, thank you, Sandra. Hi, my name is Sandra LeClaire. I'm the Health Projects Coordinator with UAA Center for Human Development. And one of the reasons why I'm here today is because I've had the opportunity over the last almost year and a half to be involved in the a vaccine partnership for accessibility that brought together different organizations across the state that serve people with disabilities and looked at ways to encourage and encourage people to get the vaccine and also encourage greater accessibility to the vaccine. And as a part of that, we conducted a survey and did a lot of different activities. And so any opportunity that we have to really continue to ensure that people are thinking about this and thinking about ways to increase accessibility, encourage people to access the vaccine um, if that's their choice, we want to take that opportunity. All right. Well, it's wonderful to have you here with us today. Um, and Jenna, my last member of my distinguished panel, um, can you introduce yourselves and why you chose to be here today? So I'm Jenna Crafton. So I'm a vice chair for the Governor's Council, and i also a member of Peer Power Board. Okay. And what can you tell us what that is? So Peer Power Board is a organization for disabilities, our disabilities to advocate for everybody's rights. I love that. So it's a group it doesn't matter what disability you might be experiencing, you're you can come on and, and join with others to like promote equal access and, and fairness and that's all right. Thanks. Um well, I'm really pleased to have you all here today. Um, I guess, so let's talk for a second about, uh, we say Alaskans with disabilities. That is a big, broad term, and it covers lots of, uh, you know, different areas. So for the purpose of today's conversation, and Sandra, maybe you can start us off here. Um, what are we talking about when we say Alaskans with disabilities? Sure. So when we talk about Alaskans with disabilities associated with some of the projects we've done, we really look at any Alaskan who identifies as having one or more disabilities, and that could include uh, disabilities related to mobility, intellectual developmental disabilities, really any type of disability that uh, someone identifies as having. And we know nationally and in Alaska that around 25% or more uh, people do identify as having a disability. So a significant part of our population uh, is what we're talking about today. 25%. That is, uh, yeah, that's a big number. Um, all right, so we're talking about anything from um, physical amputees, um, emotional disabilities, intellectual disabilities, uh, autism, uh, Down syndrome, any uh, blindness. Right, wide variety of, of disabilities that people might identify with, yes. Across absolutely. the board, mm -hmm. okay. Um, all right, well, let's get into a little bit uh, the impact, and maybe, Jenna, you can start us off here. Uh, two years ago, I don't even know how long it's been now, um, <laughs> two-plus years uh, ago, we got hit with this thing, and people were canceling trips and um, trying to figure out what's going to happen. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Jenna, as a person 
um, who experiences a disability. How did this, the pandemic and all of this sort of impact your life and your like routine? And uh, what was the, what was your experience of it? So my mom's a nurse and she told us what's going on with the COVID and it's impacted my life because I'm a social genius. So I like to go out places, meet people, go to the gym. But after when it's so bad with COVID, I always stay home trying to be safe and everything. And I wear a N95 with the cover mask on top at the gym a couple of times before it's so bad. And and I told my dad said I have an intellectual disability, and I have wearing two masks, and everybody else doesn't wear one in the gym. Right. So you found that <laughs> you're like I'm the one with an intellectual disability, and all these people are running around without any mask protection. Um, yeah, that's that's great because. <laughs> Yeah, your experience of it, that extreme isolation, really like shutting down the like your social connections. And you sent you seem like a I've never met you, but you seem like a really outgoing person who likes mm -hmm. to like be around people and do things and get out. And so that had a huge impact on you. I I'm a really social butterfly and I like going out places, meeting people. But my dad and my mom want us to be safe. Right because they don't want us to get COVID. And it's like being home, stuck home, like on house arrest, because you go out places, but my mom and dad, you, I'm old enough, you can make your own choices to go out, right. but it's better than listen to the parents and the nurse to be safe than sorry. That's... Yeah, you had the advantage of having a mother who's a medical professional, and so she could give you some trusted information. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more about that. But um, Sandra, what's your experience with the impact that this has had on uh, people who with disabilities in our state? One of the things being a part of this vaccine partnership has given me is the opportunity to really hear from a lot of people and hear some of their stories and those impacts. And some of the things that Jenna just talked about, I think, are, are some of the most frequent stories, which is that connection that people have, whether it's social connection or a connection via activities that are part of a more structured day, were just gone. They were gone quickly and there was nothing to replace them. And some of the things that were used early on to try to replace these social connections via um, whether it be, you know, Zoom meetings or other type of online meetings just didn't work well for everyone. Right. It, it wasn't something that everyone could connect with. But another element that we've also learned about in terms of impact. And I know we're talking a lot about the social impacts and things like that. But from a health perspective, you know, individuals with disabilities just statistically have uh, a little bit higher incidence of some things like, um, you know, heart disease and other types of uh, health issues. And so preventive ongoing access to health care is really important to just maintain a really high quality of life and a high quality of health. And so during the height of the pandemic, that access to health care was really limited. 
And this is uh, in no way meant to be a judgment on, on the things that needed to be shut down as a result of the pandemic, but just the impact of that is that you can't as easily get in and get the preventive health care that you need, um, maybe as frequently or in ways that work for you if you can't bring someone with you to support you, right. um, and or if you have um, a disability that makes it very difficult for you to tolerate mask wearing. It can really impact how you interact with the world. Um, and then the the last thing that I'll, I'll say about this for now is that um, the, the piece that I also don't want to lose in this is that, you know, early on, um, they there wasn't a lot of information coming out yet about the impacts of COVID itself. But in March of 2021, the New England Journal of Medi Medicine Catalyst put out an article where they had gone back and reviewed 2020 data from hospitals across the United States. And what they had found was that when it came to COVID diagnosis, individuals with intellectual disabilities, that was the strongest independent risk factor for being diagnosed with COVID, was having an intellectual disability. And it resulted in higher hospitalization rates. And individuals with intellectual disabilities died at a higher rate than people without intellectual disabilities. And so when we talk about the impact of COVID, I think it's important to cite that because we know that a lot of those uh, precautions and mandates are lifting now because thankfully we're at a different time right. in the pandemic. But you may still encounter a lot of people who choose to wear masks or who choose to socially distance or maybe don't take you up on that offer to meet in person because it's not safe for them. And we need to honor that and respect that even at this point in the pandemic, because that is a true impact that people experience throughout the pandemic. So. Um, sorry, somebody has uh, not turned off their phone, but that's okay. We'll take care of it. Um, I forgot to remind people, put your phones on silent. So that's, that's on me. Um, anyway, so disproportionately impacted um, folks who experience disabilities. And I think of like the challenges already of getting anchor rides um, and you know, trying to navigate that and understand when you show up at the doctor's office, there's all these signs and um, the physical limitations. And as you mentioned, having somebody going with you um, to a place where they don't allow anybody to go with you um, and asking questions and getting information, um, all those things seem to, um, and the, the, I don't know, the pace at which all this information was, was changing and moving and switching, I couldn't follow it most of the time, um, you know, and, the, and then there's so much disinformation out there. Uh, Dr. Rabinowitz, do you have a, uh, you've been listening for a couple of minutes, do you have a, a comment or a thought about the impact that this has had um, on folks with disabilities from your experience, from your perspective in the medical field? Yeah, I think from a more clinical perspective, um, it is important to identify that um, some individuals with disabilities excuse me, might be more likely to get infected or have severe illness. So as Sandra mentioned, we do know that adults with disabilities are three times more likely to have some of those underlying risk factors that put them at risk for severe disease, hospitalization and death. And those are things like heart disease, diabetes and stroke. But there's also some other factors that are unique to disabled individuals that can have a huge impact. You already mentioned not being able to have an advocate um, at some of these um, meetings or um, 
you know, other information sharing uh, opportunities. So really it's people that have limited mobility or can't avoid coming into close contact with others um, that need a direct support provider, that have family members that are coming back into the home to care for them, do put them at increased risk. And then individuals that just have trouble understanding information or be able to practice um, preventative measures and mitigation that we've been doing. And, and then communication is a big issue. And in some of those studies that Sandra also mentioned, um, in individuals with intellectual disabilities being at increased rates, it's an ability to communicate, uh, receive information, but then being able to relay um, your own symptoms and needs. So it's definitely a lot of factors going into it. And so it's not a simple um, matter to, to kind of sort out. It's, as we discussed, uh, individuals with disabilities is a huge group and there's so many different factors to take into account as we look into identifying how to help um, improve access. Yeah, I think um, of like the information coming out not being, um, I know, translated into Braille or audio books. I mean, it was or audio information for people with hearing or visual impairments. Um, I just like the the challenges kind of stack up for anybody who's experiencing um, some sort of uh, disability. So I think it's um, this is a really good conversation. It's kind of um, it's a difficult conversation and to think about solutions uh, to all of these sorts of questions. And so um, I guess let's go into a little bit of that. Um, what was done to let's take Braille or hearing impairments, for example, visual or hearing, what was done? Does anybody have any knowledge of what was done to get information out or what's being done um, for those communities in particular? Sandra, do you have? I can speak to that a little bit. Right. Um, so the CDC, for example, has created um, with some pretty clear language versions of vaccine information. And they're not just clear language version with very distilled facts about the vaccine that are much more accessible for people to read, but they also are accompanied by visual graphic stories that kind of show what the process is of getting the vaccine. Um, I noticed that um, certainly, uh, the state of Alaska put out some of those types of materials as well that were a little more graphically focused to really help people have other ways of learning about the vaccine. Okay. And they also included um, in the CDC some other types of ways of communicating about the vaccine. And there were many organizations across the country that started to step up and ensure that, you know, people who maybe... Um, were had difficulty hearing had access to information and the some of the um the whether it was the news or whether it was you know public zooms that happened uh, started to incorporate much more of captioning and things that would really help people access the information in different ways so you saw more attention being paid in this pandemic especially as it moved along and there was more information available to making sure that it came out in a variety of ways uh, but sometimes the materials like the, the CDC's clear language materials can be a little difficult to find. And so giving a little more prominence 
to those different types of communication platforms can be really helpful so that it's just a click away for everyone. Um, so I think that that those things are there. And the more we learn about how to make them even more easily accessible, that's really important. All and right. I would add to that, um, it, it, Sandra captured a lot of what's being done. We're doing a lot of uh, informational sessions. And as she mentioned, as it went on, we were identifying, um, you know, different groups that we needed to outreach to. And really at this point, um, we're, we're back to that community level and have really realized, Prentice, that smaller communities know exactly the needs um, of their um, individuals with disabilities in the community. So going in and, and assessing on a community level has been the most helpful in this kind of latter part of the pandemic where we can really tailor needs um, and get things in braille and do special echoes um, for individuals that are hard of hearing. Um, and so we've had the most success with that as we were kind of able to catch our breath and, and dial in on a community level. All right, great. We are up against our first break. Um, so for those of you who might be tuning in late, you are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. Today is the fourth installment of our Talk to Your Neighbors series, which is part of our effort to encourage people to get vaccinated for COVID-19. My guests today are Sandra LeClaire, Health Projects Manager with the UAA Center for Human Development, Vaccine champion Jenna Crafton and Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz, who is a staff physician with the Department of Public Health. Today, we are taking a look at the unique challenges faced by people with disabilities when it comes to vaccine access and COVID-19 risk. If you have a question for my guests or a comment about today's topic or just a personal vaccination story you would like to share, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can call us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions on the air is to email us at line1-alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll be, more, be back with more of our conversation. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you're listening to Line 1, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. For those of you who might be tuning in late, today is the fourth installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series. 
This is part of our effort to encourage people to get vaccinated for COVID-19. My guests today are Sandra LeClaire, who is the health, a health projects manager with the UAA Center for Human Development, vaccine champion Jenna Crafton, and Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz, staff physician with the Department of Public Health. Today we are looking at the unique challenges faced by people with disabilities when it comes to vaccine access and COVID-19 risk. If you have a question for us today or a comment about today's topic or just a personal vaccination story you would like to share, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 188-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions on the air is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. All right, uh, Jenna, can you tell us uh, what a vaccine champion is? Um, I asked you that question earlier before we were on the air, but um, can you tell us what that means? So it's mean to get your shot your first shot, and then your second shot, and then your booster shot. And it's if she was anybody scared of needles, it's okay. I was scared a while ago, but if you get your shot now, it, don't be scared of needles. So you have a little sticker and said, I got my shot, and you feel much better than go to the doctors and have a tube stuck in your mouth and be in your bed. And that's not healthy, but I recommend it. If you're scared of needles, maybe your care worker will come in and can get some lollipop or cookie afterwards when you have your shot. I recommend and get your shot. I love that. Um, you are so right. It is so much better than a tube or all the needles that you will get in the hospital. Um, my daughter was terrified of getting it and uh, went to just cried and said, no, 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 no. And then, um, boom, it was done. Like, and she's like, when is it, when are they going to do it? I said, it's already done. Oh, like she didn't feel it. And I did not even feel the COVID shot. Like it was, I don't know what it was about the needle, but it was very, very small. So, um, Jenna, I'm going to stick with you for a minute and I want to talk a little bit about the impact that this has had. You've talked a little bit about your your socialization and you're obviously a very independent person and you get out and you do stuff and but I'm sure you have friends who have like really struggled with this um, isolation and did you have any friends who were confused about the vaccine or who didn't want to get it? And what were your conversations like with them? I said if you don't want your shot you can't it's hard for people to listen to the news that's not helpful and have nobody in the medical field saying it's okay to get a shot, but it's hard for people. They, they, they have a right to see what's out there for them, like if they want to listen to the news or they want to listen to medical people. But I recommend people, if you don't have your first shot of COVID, please get your shot and please listen to the medical field like the doctors and the nurses. They save your life and they really, really good at it. 
Uh, that's great advice. Go and talk to your physician and really explore, ask the questions you have to ask and educate yourself from people who you trust and who you know have your best interests at heart and don't listen too much to the noise as you called it earlier. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so we have a couple of calls. I want to go to Martin in Fairbanks. You're on line one. Go ahead. Uh, yes, first of all, I'm a retired RN with a, you know, with a career mostly in public health and infectious diseases, uh, and, and half of that was in you know, developing countries. And you know, our culture has so much to do with our vaccine acceptance, and now politics has been injected and that even within our own country, there are uh, cultures like, for example, down in Delta, where, you know, when the kids come in for the vaccines, they're very stoic and they stand and they take it. And it's unlike uh, here in Fairbanks, where between the parent and the child, they work themselves up so that they're screaming. And, you know, it's, it's like a cultural thing, you know, you know, to avoid pain at all costs. Anyway. That's not really why I'm calling. Um, after being involved with vaccines for so many years, I think the COVID vaccine and the response to it is, has been, you know, very good. But no one ever talks about the VAERS reporting system. Uh, I think people need to be aware of that. It helps gather more information about vaccines and, and, and you know, people's response to them and yet as many shows as I've listened to about COVID I've never heard anybody refer to the VAERS reporting system and I'd like to hang up and have you explain that a little bit to the public. All right thank you so much Martin and um, that's a question for Dr. Rabinowitz or yeah um, Sandra's nodding yes it's a question <laughs> for Dr. Rabinowitz so can you uh, take that one? Absolutely. And thanks um, for your comments, Martin, and also this question. So the VAERS reporting system um, has been definitely a target of a lot of uh, noise, as Jenna called it, and a lot of misinformation, but it's actually one of the most important tools we have for these vaccines. It's where we can collect uh, information and identify any of these rare side effects. So as many of you remember, with the J&J &J vaccine, there was some rare uh, blood clotting that was found, and this was done through the VAERS reporting system. So the VAERS reporting system is something that anyone can report in. Uh, clinicians, I've definitely submitted reports through the VAERS. Um, individuals uh, can submit, and anyone can put information in. It's a transparent, open um, database, so people can look at that information. The part that gets confusing is all that information goes in, but then on the backside, um, all of that's investigated. And so there's lots of work going on behind the scenes to identify if, if an, a, an adverse event that happened was related to a vaccine at all. Even in the studies uh, that were done with these vaccines in the beginning, there was a gentleman um, that was actually struck by lightning that didn't end up having anything to do with the vaccine, but all of that information goes in. And it's important because that's how we do pick up safety signals. Um, I would encourage anyone um, to report into VAERS, clinicians, individuals, 
it's important, but understanding the limitations on what's visible to the public, and that can get misconstrued. Um, and just understand that there's so much investigation that goes on the back end uh, into these reports. And I hope that's helpful. No, that is. And I think it's a really interesting point that Martin brings up. And when he was saying that, I started thinking back on all the COVID shows that I've done and the ones that I've heard. And he's right. I haven't heard much conversation about that. Um, Dr. Rabinus, do you know like how many people or is there a percentage or a way to track how many people who get the vaccine actually participate in that? So it's it's a it's a voluntary reporting. There's another safety tool that that I'll point out called VSafe, and that's an app that people can report into, and that's um, putting your symptoms in, whether you're feeling fine or having um, some side effects from the vaccine. And that's probably more of a tool um, that's used for kind of identifying side effects. And a large percentage of the population use that tool. And we also want to encourage that. A lot of great information actually came from that tool on pregnancy and safety data, okay. where we, will, we were able to see that pregnancy and fertility wasn't affected by the vaccine. So kind of two different databases with different uses. All right. Well, that's helpful. And uh, Martin, thank you for the call and for bringing that up. Um, we'll stick with the phones uh, for a minute. We have Stone in Fairbanks. You're on line one. Go ahead. Hi. Hello. Hello. Are you with us? You're Hi. on, on yeah. the air. Hi. My name is Stone. Um, I've supported people with uh, intellectual disabilities for about eight years now. Uh, I was in Anchorage, and now I'm up here in Fairbanks. But um, this last winter, I spent, um, so I, I wanted to bring up two points specifically. One is uh, having an intellectual disability for many people is very isolating uh, in general. Um, and this last winter, I spent, I was working like 100 hours a week, 80 to 100 hours a week with a man with no memory, about 20 seconds is about all he can remember. So it's very difficult to explain to him a pandemic uh, when he doesn't remember anything. Um, but the social isolation that was then upon him was then even worse because he wants to go out, but he doesn't remember going out. He, um, so, but that, that, those problems compound across the entire uh, population. And then another issue being the fact that I was working those 80 to 100 hours a week is really a symptom of the staffing issue that is in the entire field, which then is a human rights issue for the people being supported. Uh, the pay uh, nationally is close to 10 or $12 an hour. Here right. in Alaska, it's a bit higher, but you can make the same at Walmart or Fred Meyer. So um, the, 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 the training is low, uh, the standards are low, and it all has negative impacts on the people supported, ultimately. Uh, and we need to figure out how to build community as a whole with people with intellectual disabilities included in an overall community, because... Another thing we have to remind ourselves is I've worked with a guy who was in Harborview and Valdez. They sprayed him with hoses. Uh, they fought. Everyone was covered in uh, feces. Um, so that, that was not that long ago. Uh, that guy is still alive. So um, we, we have a lot to go forward with, and we are on a good track, I, I think, hopefully. So thank you. And Jenna, it's nice to hear from you. Uh, we haven't seen each other in a while. I'm up in Fairbanks. Bye. All right. Sounds like he knows who you are, Jenna. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have so many people, I, I can't keep track of them all. Um, 
All right, Sandra, do you have a uh, any thoughts on that call? That was a great call and and the inclusion and isolation. And this is, I, I just can imagine. I mean, I thought my kids were isolated, and we managed to find a bubble family to hang out with um, during the early, you know, the first year. So they had some, you know, somebody to spend time with and and spend the night over with. But it was really hard to identify that specific family. Um, do you have any thoughts on on Stone's call? Yeah, there are a couple of things that I think Stone brought up that uh, are things that are definitely worth talking about not just here, but greater in our society. One, as you mentioned, of course, is the isolation piece and how that impacts people. And unfortunately, most people, I think, throughout the pandemic now have a, have a better understanding of what isolation really feels like. Right. And um, I was in a, a training with some folks and someone mentioned, you know, now now a greater part of the population understands a little bit of something that we might experience more often and to understand how important connection is and supporting people and making those connections, whether it's within the pandemic or, or outside of the pandemic and understanding that, um, you know, whether it's, you know, better transportation, as Stone was talking about, more supportive services, that that, that connection is really vital to who we are as, as people and, and wanting to engage with each other. Um, and then the other piece that Stone brought up that I think is really important is that really the pandemic took issues that already existed and exacerbated them. And so the issues of ensuring that direct support professionals and others in the field of supporting individuals with disabilities are recognized for the professionals that they are, for the special skills that they have, um, and are really um, identified as an important part of, you know, the medical and social services field together. Uh, it was important even before the pandemic. And the pandemic really demonstrated when some of those supports disappear or when people are put at greater risk just to be able to do their job. It really has an impact on not only the people performing that professional service, but on the people who receive it and who rely on it for their quality of life and daily activities of living. And so these are things that, that Stone brought up that I hope as we look forward from the pandemic, we are we're still, you know, there's definitely still people who are experiencing risk associated with COVID now, but we also need to be looking towards what are we learning from this? And are there systems and things that we can improve so that the next time um, a disaster happens that's health related, how are we going to um, you know, respond to the needs of all of the population of the United States and of Alaska? Um, and so I think that's, that's some of the things that he brought up that really came to mind for me as he was talking. Wow, things are just going off in my head. You know, I'm thinking about um, the disproportionate impact on low wage earners, like the folks who stock our groceries and um, and work at gas stations and, you know, all those, you know, that we pay the least amount um, and then versus the professionals with high paying jobs that could stay at home and do Zoom and that underappreciation and how it sort of put a magnifying glass on how significantly, I mean, how important those roles are in our community um, to our function and our existence and truck drivers and people deliver the mail, like all those those jobs that are sort of like taken for granted, I think um, that's a 
I don't know, my brain's going all over the place right now. So that's those are really, really good points. I do have an email I want to read right before the break. It's from um, one of our uh, most dev- devoted listeners, Caroline. Um, she said she could not wait around, but she wanted to say that she's 78, so she remembers polio and iron lungs. Not enough people do. She even knows of adults who recovered from polio as children and who have renewed issues as an adult if more people realize that maybe they wouldn't question getting the vaccine um that's from a person with a good bit of experience um so i appreciate the email caroline and and thank you as always for listening so we are up against our second break already so for those of you who might be tuning in late in late, you are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. Today is the fourth installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series, which is part of our effort to encourage people to get vaccinated for COVID 19. My guests today are Sanja LeClaire, Health Projects Manager with the UAA Center for Human Development, vaccine champion Jenna Crafton and Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz, staff physician with the Department of Public Health. Today, we are taking a look at the unique challenges faced by people with disabilities when it comes to vaccine access and COVID-19 risk. If you have a question for us today, a comment about today's topic, or a personal vaccination story you want to share, you can reach us in three ways. Our Anchorage number is 907-550-8433. Toll free, we can be reached at 1-888-353-5752. And you can email your questions or comments to line1 at alaskapublic.org. Please don't wait to uh, till the end of the show with only a few minutes left to call in or email because I won't be able to, to get to you. So after this short break... Um, we will continue our conversation. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, did you know that one out of four Alaska high school students currently use e-cigarettes? E-cigarettes are easy to use and easy to hide. What teens breathe in and out from e-cigarettes is not safe. It contains cancer-causing chemicals, toxic metals, and nicotine. Nicotine can lead to addiction. It can harm brain development and hurt memory, learning, and attention span. Parents, talk to your teens about vaping. Visit livevapefree at alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by the Alaska Tobacco Quitline. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you are tuning in late, today is the fourth installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series, which is part of our effort to encourage people to get vaccinated for COVID-19. My guests today are Sandra LeClaire, Health Projects Manager for the UAA Center for Human Development, Vaccine champion Jenna Crafton and Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz, staff physician with the Department of Public Health. Today, we are taking a look at some of the challenges faced by people with disabilities when it comes to vaccine access and COVID-19 risk. If you have a question for my guest today or a comment about our topic or just a personal vaccination story, uh, you would like to share about why you chose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated 
um, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our number is 907-550-8433. Toll free from anywhere you might be listening. We can be reached at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. All right. I... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the impact on families um, as primary caregivers. I know there's lots of support networks out there um, that work with people with disabilities, getting access, taking them out on activities. Um, I think, uh, well, Stone obviously touched on that. But um, once this pandemic sort of shut down, and I don't know, Jenna, you seem like you're pretty just independent and go run and do your own thing. but Maybe you can speak to, like, do you have um, an agency or some organization that you work with in that way? And what was the impact on that? Or maybe some of your friends. Um, can you speak to that at all? So I'm part of the Hope Community Center. Okay. And and I go, when it's safe, I go in with my masks on and... And I do my art and crafts there and socialize with everybody. But in two years, we do everything crafts on Zoom because it's too dangerous for everybody to be inside a building. But it's fun being on Zoom. I wasn't a really good Zoom at the beginning, but I bet right now and in the future, I'll probably be really good at it because I have more expert on doing Zoom because we have classes on Zooms and uh, uh, and now I'm an expert with Zoom and I go in to Hope on Fridays and I do crafts and I talk to everybody. All right, so that was a big change for you to transition from being in person uh, to Zoom, and but sounds like you adjusted pretty well, and that was a good use of technology to keep you all connected in some way. And you wear your mask still these days. I still wear my mask, go to Hope, because I think uh, maybe, hopefully we done with COVID, but I think it's another COVID systems coming our way, but... You just got to be extra careful and yeah. be safe. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, Dr. Rabinowitz, can, like, we have people in the community that are vulnerable to complications for COVID-19 for many different reasons. And when I go out and um, into the community and walk around, it seems like everyone, as, as it sort of believes already what Jenna said, hopefully we're over it, but everybody seems to believe that it is. Um, can you speak, speak briefly to the importance of, like, do we need to continue these precautions? Do we need to continue to wear, wear masks, even if we're healthy, to consider other people? Like, what's the latest, just for a public service announcement while we have you here, um, what's the latest information right now and where we're at? Yeah, absolutely. So we're watching trends closely and, um, you know, there's areas in the U.S. that are currently having a surge with the BA2 variant and we are having um, 
some surges in, for instance, Southeast Alaska right now. So it really comes down to communities kind of assessing their um, rates of transmission and their hospital healthcare capacity. And from an individual level, really assessing your own personal risk and those around you. So even if you don't have a high risk condition, you may live with someone um, that is at risk or someone going through chemotherapy or you interact with individuals on a frequent basis. So taking all of that into account uh, when you make your decisions on mitigation and kind of how you're gonna protect yourself and your loved ones around you is gonna be important. Taking a step back to vaccines, it really is our most important public health tool. We know that they're very safe and they're very effective, especially at um, preventing uh, severe outcomes. So being in the hospital and worse. So as Jenna said, and I can't say it any better, um, it's definitely much better than being in the hospital lying in a bed with a tube. But we know now um, how safe these vaccines are because we've got millions of doses and, and data uh, to show that. So really keeping up to date on vaccines and then assessing your personal risk and kind of what's happening in your community are the most important things to take into consideration. All right. Thank you. Um, we're going to go to a phone call. Um, Alan in Wasilla, you're on line one. Go ahead. Yeah, my mother was paralyzed, lost use of her able ability to lift up her forearm after a COVID shot. And that's uh, it happened almost immediately. And then she got COVID after that, but she survived it. Um, and I suppose that she might not have made it without the COVID shot, but there are dangers apparently with this shot that people aren't talking about, I think. Did that, uh, did the feeling or did the ability to move that come back for her? She hasn't yet. It's been like about a year and a half. She's starting to get some feeling in the arm now, like it hurts a little bit, but she still can't lift her arm. And of course, she lost her ability to drive when that happened. And in her 80s, that's really disturbing for her. All right. Um, yeah, thank you for the call. And I, I think there's two good points there. Um, one is that she, uh, well, the second point that you made, that she might not have made it at her age through um, having COVID without that vaccination. But Dr. Rabinitz, do you know have any comment about the some of the side effects? I hear these stories um, from time to time. And, you know, people say this happened and, and that happened. Um, do you have, what are your thoughts on those sorts of stories and those sorts of symptoms that are isolated? Yeah, Ellen, thanks for bringing that up. I think it, this is a great example of um, an adverse event that happened around the timing of vaccine and, you know, reporting that in so we can make decisions and compile information to see if there's other individuals that have had a similar situation or was it not related to the vaccine. And so that's the importance of that VAERS database that we did talk about. I think you're exactly right, Alan. There are definitely risks to the vaccine. We know that there can be allergic reactions. We've done a lot of you know, changes around how we give the vaccines with regards to that. 
we know that um, there are some other risks that can happen with these vaccines. And so as we've been mentioning throughout this, it's really important uh, to get information, talk with your trusted health professional um, if you have concerns or need more information, because we want people to get vaccines um, with all the information they have and feel comfortable um, receiving those vaccines. All right. I, uh, the, a call, uh, well, a thought that I had a little while ago and we were talking about, um, the isolation, my, my parents just moved up here and, you know, it feels like COVID to what Jenna was talking about, I guess, triggered this thought. It feels like COVID is sort of like gone, but my parents are 80 and have, they're both on chemo and they have some, you know, sort of health. My dad has heart problems. My mom has arthritis. And so, you know, they moved here to be close to family and we're still, you know, not able to really fully engage with them because of this fear of them being in a vulnerable position. The rest of us are going about our lives and it's really hard for a lot of people. And I just want to sort of acknowledge that and encourage people to like really think about who they're around and what they're doing um, in their activities and, and how to protect ourselves and the people that we love, which kind of goes into, um, we got an email from uh, Jim who says, you say that you've eaten bologna and hot dogs your whole life and you don't know what's in them, but you don't want to put the vaccine into your body. It's called being a good neighbor. Um, what about the... I don't, this doesn't quite make sense, but what about the vaccinated right or the people's right to not be infected by you? We have rights. Oh, the vaccinated, those who get vaccinated. Um, we have rights too. It was originally poo-pooed as a problem. I feel that set the mentality for some people's thinking. Um, that's, uh, yeah, we put a lot of things in our body that we don't know what's in them. And, um, you know, I think about, people who are don't want to get the vaccine and they're smoking cigarettes and vaping and like there's so many things but to trust the health professionals as jenna's pointed out several times really well is talk to people in the medical community who you trust and who like your physician is not going to steer you wrong um and i know there's a lot of misinformation and news out there um so uh, sandra do you have a I don't know, some thoughts from your perspective on any of this stuff? Yeah, you know, when we uh, had this vaccine partnership come together, we did uh, a survey in August, September of 2021, and we asked people with disabilities and people who support individuals with disabilities, what were barriers and what were your motivators for getting the vaccine and what were your trusted sources of information? Because we want to learn from individuals who have disabilities you know, what are some things that we can incorporate into planning? And some of the things that you're talking about are things that sort of resonated with me from this survey, um, which uh, where we found out that, you know, the individuals who answered the survey said that, you know, some of the biggest barriers they experienced were, you know, being concerned it would make their medical conditions worse if they got the vaccine, being concerned about those side effects, um, but then also having some logistical challenges in terms of um, not being able to go on their own, maybe not having transportation and um, not being able to find or make appointments easily. 
So, you know, taking into mind those barriers, then the motivators for folks, they talked about protecting self, protecting family, protecting community. So it was even though there were options like I could travel again, I could get together in social situations again, the people with, um, who answered the survey overwhelmingly chose protecting the health of the community. Um, so I think that, you know, when we think about where we are now with vaccines and where we were and where we want to be in the future, we look at um, there were some strong motivators around protecting each other and helping each other get to a place where we can all live together out in public and interact again in a way that feels safe for us. And there are some real questions that people have, some real concerns that people expressed, you know, making your medical conditions worse. When you spend a lot of time trying to ensure that your health is preserved so that you can um, live a high quality life, something that might upset that or you're concerned might upset that is something you want to get a lot of answers about, right? So I'm um, just recognizing, yes, of course you have questions. Of course these are concerns. And trusted medical professionals are the people that you should absolutely absolutely go to and ask all these questions. And if they don't answer them, you go to the next one, right? But your primary care provider wants to answer these questions. Right. They want to. And um, please use them because they are trusted people to, to provide this information and answer these very valid questions that you have. All right. We are running up against the end of our show. So um, Jenna, do you have any like sort of closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Like just take home points, something you want people to think about? So everybody, if you don't have your COVID shot, please get them and please wear your mask. I think, I hope COVID is done, but I think another strand of virus coming. So just be aware and be safe with this new brand and wear your mask. All right. Sandra, last thought. Absolutely. I think that we can be empowered by the things that we've learned from the pandemic and empowered by the things that we've learned from individuals with disabilities and those who support them to um, make all of the vaccine process as accessible as possible um, and to make sure that, you know, we're able to protect ourselves, our families and our communities by making this something that people can easily access, easily understand um, and easily encourage others to do. All right, Lisa, 10 seconds. I just want to uh, shout out to everyone and the partnerships that we've developed throughout this as we identify gaps and barriers. And then just a reminder that the COVID hotline can help individuals with disability uh, get um, access and rides to vaccination spots. It's 907-646-3322. All right, thanks so much to all of my guests. I appreciate you joining me today. My thanks to my producer, Adeline Baxter, and to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, for making it all happen. For all of us at Line One, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Till next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.